0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every weekend on this show, you'll hear from chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, experts, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. I'll also dish on living the best life, health, wellness, wine, and cocktails. So I hope you tune in and allow me to feed your soul. I have had... 17 wonderful years on the radio, and it is a true blessing for me to share what I love, my passion, and to hopefully inspire you to be the best cook you know. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with my daily dish at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. If you happen to have missed a show, you'll find podcasts on iTunes as well under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So let's get to the culinary conversation, shall we? Summer's coming, right? And if you're like me, you are planning tomato salads and grilled corn and charred steaks sizzling hot off the barbie. And Stephen Reichlin, the grilling guru whom you will hear in the coming weeks, has a new cookbook out. If you are a brisket lover, well, he is going to help you master it, but more on that later. He recently posted a piece about the newest cuts of steak on his blog, and they're not particularly new, but they're all delicious. And I thought it was really important to pay it forward and pass my steak passion along to you. Now, these new cuts... They're often what the butcher used to keep for themselves or what the meat guys and gals would keep behind the counter or maybe sell under a different name. Oftentimes they were discarded when butchering because beef quality and this vast selection of cuts that we have uh, at our fingertips is really ever evolving. So I am here to remind you of my undying love for a particular cut in advance of summer, so that you can eat the most delicious steak ever. It is called the deckle, also known as the ribeye cap, and I believe it is the tastiest cut on the cow. Now, what is the deckle, you ask? Well, allow me to clarify because there is some confusion. The beef deckle does not have anything to do with the beef brisket, contrary to much of what you might read on the internet. I'm going to leave brisket to Stephen Reichlin, and he's going to tell you all about it in his new Chronicles, and you'll hear him here in a few weeks. The deckle is rather the flap or the top of the prime rib that is generally removed when the rib is made into Spencer steaks or ribeye steaks or often called a ribeye roast. The deckle might just be the most delicious piece of steak you will ever taste. Now, in a meat house, I have come to find out that the butchers call it butcher's butter. On a menu, you will often see that it is referred to um, as the prime rib flap, but it's starting to be called the decal or called out more specifically at restaurants across the country. Now it's called a collat steak or colotte steak in France, and they've known about it or at least shared the love far longer than we have. Now I have harbored a secret love for this particular cut for quite some time. Um, when the cap is left on ribeye steaks, Have you seen that fatty, delicious, buttery cap that you ate first on the steak, but you didn't know what it was called? Well, if you got a less than well-trimmed ribeye, you've tasted the deckel. And everyone knows that a ribeye is the most flavorful premium steak available. And tenderloin is considered the most tender. Well, the ribeye cap has the best of both worlds. The deckel has so much flavor. And lots of juicy fat like a ribeye. And then it has this toothsome, tender, melt-in-your-mouth, don't-need-a-knife goodness of a tenderloin. And that is why I love the deckle. And maybe you found yourself discovering some new cuts at your local meat purveyor lately. Uh, You know, to me it seems as if you might discover a whole new side of the steer. There are new um, there are no new magical parts of beef, I should say. Um but there is this very interesting trend happening particularly among craft butchers and that is new cuts or new names for cuts like the deckel that are making their way into the rock star world of beef. And because summer is quickly approaching, I think you need to know. Now, as for these new cuts, uh, you can make fast friends with your butcher and look for a few more of my favorites, which I love, and I'm going to share with you right now, of course. (laughs) I love a flat iron steak, also known as a top blade. It's a boneless cut and it has become a runaway commercial success. So second only to the filet mignon, it is Super tender and very beefy tasting, but it has great texture and it has some marbling. So look for a flat iron. Often seen on a restaurant menu, by the way. Uh, Also, you should seek out what is called a Denver steak. So it's a Japanese pillowy cut um, that comes from the under blade and It sort of is, uh, designed after a cushion that is used in Zen meditation. So we call it a Denver steak and it is found deep in the shoulder of the cow. It is very richly marbled. It is very grillable. It is not widely available yet, but I recommend that you watch for it. And then last but not least, there is something called the shoulder tender. And it is a very lean cut shaped like a tenderloin, but it's smaller and you can cut it into medallions and it's really beautiful for grilling or roasting or even simply broiling. So you have the deckle, the flat iron steak, the Denver, and the shoulder tender. And I say, ask your butcher what he or she has that's special or what they're keeping for themselves, an experiment. Empower yourself with knowledge because you will become a better cook. I seriously aspire to it every day. And if you would like my new steak cuts tutorial, I will gladly email it to you so that you have all of this information written down at your fingertips and ready to rattle off to your butcher at any time. Now, all four cuts, by the way, that I mentioned can be marinated, rubbed, sauced, or just seasoned simply with salt and pepper. And for maximum tenderness on all of them, you cook a medium rare. Then you let them rest and you slice against the grain. And by the way, when you serve that first decal to your family and friends, you will be a culinary hero. And you don't have to give me any credit. You can just thank me later. But do send an email, please. I'd love to share new steak info with you, you can get to me directly, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. Okay, I have food news for the week. Oh, here's some news you can use, Starbucks lovers. I loved reading this. In fact, just a few days ago, Starbucks released that they are welcoming another fun drink to celebrate the arrival of warmer weather. And it is a nod to a summertime classic. The coffee chain is bringing back the beloved s'mores frappuccino by popular demand. Okay, uh, uh, call me Starbucks ignorant, but I hadn't had a s'mores frappuccino before. Seeing that it's coming back, it must be delicious. And as one would expect, The fan favorite, I am told, takes all the sweet and gooey flavors of s'mores and blends them into one beverage. How could it be bad? The s'mores frappuccino is made with a marshmallow-infused whipped cream, milk chocolate sauce that's blended with coffee, milk, and ice, and then it is topped with more marshmallow whipped cream and graham cracker crumbs for texture. I gotta love it. The drink will be available for a limited time at participating Starbucks locations starting soon, so watch for it. And let me know where you're drinking one and I'll meet you. And uh, I can't wait to sip and savor. And do not touch your dial because we do have a grand show planned. Coming up before the end of the hour, the Food Network's Aron Sanchez is stopping by. We're celebrating Cinco de Mayo and you won't want to miss it. Also coming up next, I am delighted to share Anna Goss's first cookbook. She is an immigrant who shares her story and her heirloom kitchen. An inspiring reminder that the story of immigrant food is the story of America and you will want to hear it. This is a beautiful book so stay tuned there is lots more delicious conversation and fabulous food coming up in your radio right after this chef jamie gwen don't go away Welcome back. Food is life. Create and savor yours. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're celebrating Cinco de Mayo, observed to commemorate the Mexican army's victory over the French Empire at the Battle of Puebla on May 5th, 1862. And if you want to set up the best ever tostada bar or shake up the perfect margarita, well then having Chef Aaron Sanchez by your side will definitely guarantee wild success. You know and love Aron from the Food Network, Master Chef and his restaurant Johnny Sanchez in New Orleans, one of the industry's most distinguished Latin chefs. Aron is passionate about preserving his family's legacy through food and encouraging diversity in the kitchen. And he is back to dish, and I am delighted. Hi, Chef. How are you? How are you, Chef? I'm happy to be back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I very glad you. to have you here. I miss you too, and I was glad to see you recently. And I know you are celebrating. So uh, let us in on uh, the secret menu, please. What is on the uh, Cinco de Mayo spread?
0: Well, you know that Cinco de Mayo is, is, is a very iconic um, holiday that's yes. become very popular here in the States. And, um, you know, it's a great time for us at the restaurants because we, we tend to be very busy, and <laughs> as we always are. But this is a, really an opportunity to share some new dishes and share some new inspiration. So people ask me all the time, like, what's the tip? Like, what do you need to do? And I say... Well, you need to get the best ingredients possible, like, um, you know, and that are high quality, that are authentic. And for me, that's why I partnered with Cacique for many years. Yes. You know, they're the leaders in the Mexican cheese of Chorizonquema category, leaders in the Mexican food brands. So they're just awesome, and they allow me to have the creativity and utilize great ingredients on a daily basis. So that would be my tip. Get great ingredients and let them shine, as you well know.
1: Yes, and I think that you pointed out, and one word stood out for me, authentic. One of the things Mm. I've loved about your cooking all these years is that you have very much embraced your roots. And while you've taken a modern approach with your dishes, you are very steeped in the history. You have a Mm. tremendous... Passion for family, like I do, and you and I share a, a very deep love for our moms. And mm-hmm. I know that that was really very much from your childhood, right? Growing up in uh, a Mexican household where you do appreciate those flavors and the authenticity of the the dishes at their root.
0: Yes, like I'm not, you, you know, I'm very. I was very fortunate to be brought up in a matriarchal household. Yes, and and. So I see that that I saw that strength firsthand from my grandmother, who was a cookbook author. My mom was, you know, probably the the Mexican food doyen of this country,
1: no doubt. author
0: of three cookbooks. So that's why I'm very adamant about having a lot of diversity in my kitchen, especially gender gender. I love having my kitchen with lots of women, all over the restaurant, making big decisions because that right there is the future, and that's the way I grew up. Mm-hmm. So. Kudos I identify to with that, yes. And I think the authenticity part of it and, and staying close to roots is extremely important because it allows you to have a perspective that I think uh, it will never will never waver. Because mm. there's a reason that those dishes have been done that are timeless and that continue on. So, yes, let's bring those dishes to the to the forefront. Let's make sure that they don't go away.
1: Yeah, let's celebrate. Tell me what you're doing with Castique because I've learned to use queso fresco, and the other fresh Mexican cheeses. And I love them. There's a, mm-hmm. um, a, a brightness to them, an acidity, mm-hmm. uh, yep. a freshness that is just so fabulous.
0: What I love about Cacique is they don't, they don't compromise in quality or flavor. Uh, they've been doing it for over 45 years. Wow. They are a family-owned company. Nice. They're wonderful. And right now for, uh, for Cinco de Mayo weekend and this time of year where they're, you know, it's coming up on all the beautiful holidays for families. I like to do tostadas, okay. and I have a couple here that I've sort of embraced and started to have in my repertoire. I have some beautiful summer squash uh, tostadas that are sauteed with onion and roasted poblano, a little bit of queso fresco uh, for, the, for the home cook that doesn't want to venture off into anything crazy. I have carne asada that's been marinated over refried beans, a little pico de gallo, and then also queso fresco. And then another tostada that I've made is sa- you know, some, some great Louisiana shrimp over mm-hmm. a nice little layer of sautéed pork chorizo. Oh. So playing with that kind of surfing turf with a little bit of crema mexicana. And then lastly, I have some roasted mushrooms that I'm serving with some whipped queso fresco. So I've actually put the queso fresco in a processor with good olive oil. And then I'm serving that with a pumpkin seed, cilantro, and cotija pesto uh, on top of that.
1: Oh, okay. Crema on cheese. I'm in. I love yeah. Cotija and mm-hmm. I love the crema mexicana. And I've, I've never, I've only drizzled with it. I've never taken it to the next level. And yep. you mentioned whipped. So uh, h- how do we expand upon it?
0: Well, you know, I'll give you an example. Like I do at the restaurants and I've done dishes where I've taken the queso fresco, which is the number one used cheese in Mexico uh, by far and you can whip that into oh, the, in the processor with you're an egg. whipping
1: the queso okay you're blending yeah, that the, that the,
0: the fresco the yeah the queso fresco okay. with good olive oil an egg maybe some maybe some cilantro in there and you can make a beautiful mousse that you can stuff squash blossoms with oh. and, and then lightly fry those oh
1: whip okay her. what to, what time is that
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well yeah those are wonderful and i do i do that at the restaurant with, with tacos or just by themselves uh, but you know the tostada's got a lot of popularity because it's authentic. I know sometimes Americans grow up with the hard shell taco, uh, which is very Americanized. If you want a touch of authenticity, use the tostada as that vehicle and that vessel to have an infinite amount of flavor combinations.
1: So are you are you doing crispy or soft?
0: Always crispy. So
1: Always I crispy.
0: great corn tortillas. And then I fry them whole, making sure that they're submerged in oil. Right. I remove them. I, I take some of the, the, you know, dry them off with some of the residual oil and I hit them with some salt. And okay. then that will just become the perfect platform.
1: Yeah, this is like the perfect DIY tostada bar, right? So you invite yep. all your friends over. Everyone gets their own individual indulgence and they yep. could build it. And what's next for you, Aron? Where can, we, where can we find you, see you, get our, our dose of Aron Sanchez?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'll be around. I think I think <laughs> I'm going to be doing some events uh, benefiting my scholarship, uh, the Ansel Scholarship Fund, throughout the summer. Probably, i know I'm doing one with Emerald, my dear, dear friend.
1: And and wine, yes, what a and good your man. Friend, I know that. Yes.
0: And then, uh, and then I'm going to be having a memoir come out October first.
1: <gasps> Congratulations.
0: Congratulations. Yeah, be published by by Abrams. So please check that out as
1: well. That's brilliant. I hope you'll come back and share it. I would love to continue to share your story. Well, thank Um, you.
0: You're so sweet. Thank you. Very kind and I miss you and I can't wait to see you again. And I look
1: forward to it as well. Happy Cinco de Mayo to you and your family. Um, and kudos to you. The Aron Sancho Scholarship Fund that you heard Chef mention is his initiative to empower aspiring chefs from the Latin community across the country to follow their dreams. And attend culinary school, uh, he is no doubt one of the best. And you can follow him at chef underscore Aron Sanchez and at chefaronsanchez.com. Cheers to that. There are lots more celebrity chefs, big names, cookbook authors, artisans, and food lovers just like you in your radio coming up. So don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen. We'll be right back. your soul welcome back chef Jamie Gwen in your radio Born in Italy, Anna Goss came to the U.S. as a young child and grew up eating her mother's Italian cooking. But it wasn't until after she graduated from chef school that she realized she didn't know how to make her family's beloved meatballs, a recipe that existed only in her mother's memory. So she embarked on a passion project to record and preserve her family recipes for generations to come. And then she began reaching out to her friends, whose mothers were also immigrants. And soon she learned about their unique culinary memories and the foods of their homelands. From Italy to India and Berlin to Brazil, Heirloom Kitchen... Anna's first cookbook is an inspiring reminder that the story of immigrant food is the story of America. It is a truly moving must read and I am delighted to have Anna Goss here to share. Congratulations to you, Anna. Um, what, What a fabulous concept and project and tribute So many wonderful things. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, Tell us about the the premise. 40 women, their heirloom recipes, all inspired by your realization that that you wanted to be able to uh, share your past with your children and their future, right?
2: Exactly. That's how it started. I realized I didn't have any of my mother's recipes recorded. You know, Sunday comes and we all still pile into her house for dinner and there was never any motivation to make her dishes. So even though I was a recipe tester as a profession, I wasn't testing her recipes. So um, I kind of corralled her into the kitchen and we started what I call the meatball project. We started with the meatballs, getting it all written down. Um, Her pinches became teaspoons. Her handfuls became cups. I love it. And uh, we got it all on paper. We went through all the family favorites. And um, then I had what I call my aha moment. I realized I could provide a service to my friends that also had mothers from, you know, across the pond, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. I had a lot of first-generation friends, and I realized that they might be in the same predicament as me. Um, One day, hopefully long, long, long from now, our mothers will no longer be with us, and we don't want these recipes to be lost. They truly are heirlooms. So I sent out an email to all my friends, and and the response was excitement, and Mm -hmm. uh, I started going to homes all over the country to get these recipes
1: recorded. How very cool. The women that share their recollections also share stories of hardship and happiness. And it really does illuminate the power of food, as you say. Um, It's also that these recipes are a tether to their identity, right? It brings us back to where we came from. And all of us have a story. I think what's so fascinating is the depth of the power of these recipes and the power of food
2: the stories that accompany the recipes of a happy accident um, when mm-hmm. i went on my first appointment i cooked from greece and as we were mixing up one of her delicious recipes i just happened to say um inquire i said Nellie, you know why did you come to the u.s what what made you leave greece and she started telling me beautiful immigration story. while well, i'm you know Seriously writing the recipe on one paper, I start jotting down her story on another piece of paper. So when I went back to my blog to share the recipe, I said, you know, I need to share this story too because it it adds so much to the recipe. Of course. And that became part of the project was not only recording the recipes, but finding out what these women um, really did to get here. And many times their children would join the appointment Mm. And afterwards, they would hug me and say, thank you so much for coming. I didn't just learn my mother's recipe. I learned so much about my mother today that I never knew.
1: Right. The family history and the legacy is just extraordinary. Tell us about your time in the kitchen as a young girl. There's a photo in the book I love. If you want to come to my house and do dishes, Anna, you're more than welcome. But you (laughs) were very little standing at that sink.
2: You know, when you're in an Italian family is kind of what our, our world revolves around food. Um, you know, we live to eat. We don't eat to live. So, you know, my mom was always in the kitchen cooking, and both of my parents made it a really big deal to make sure that um, when I was cooking, when they were cooking, that I was in the kitchen with them. Mm. So I was, whether the sous chef or washing the dishes, whatever it might be, right. you know, we were together doing all those um, fun activities together. So, yes, I was washing dishes, I was cutting, I was doing all these different things with my mom. And I think that also brought us together as a family because dinner was obviously, you know, my mother was doing it, but we were always part- preparing, you know, participating in the process.
1: Yes, of course. And it made it that much more delicious or that much sweeter. I have tremendous memories and I still cook with my mom today. And those are some of the best times. And I learned something new from her every time we set foot in the kitchen. And there is something uh, truly beautiful about that. Um, We must talk about your mother's meatball, please. You have to share all her secrets (laughs) right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so the meatballs are quite delicious and they're getting quite a cult following yes I'm um, sure so I think the 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 biggest secret of my mom's meatballs is that you put a cup of the sauce in the meatball mix, so, which I have so not Italian... seen
1: before a, a great Italian nana taught me ice water, like co- uh-huh. so cold, super cold ice water, so that the fat congealed i've learned from numerous Italian cooks to. Some brown, some don't. But I had not seen sauce added to the meat mixture. Yes. So
2: that is what I believe makes them so, like, incredibly tender. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you mentioned something else. My mother does not brown or bake her meatballs first. They poach in your sauce. So if you're Italian, you always have sauce lying around. So it's like the chicken bag. you make first, the meatballs? Are first. You are going to make the sauce first. Right. And you're going to have that bubbling and then you're going to take a cup out and cool it and put it into the meatball mix. Make up your meatballs and then just drop them very gently into the pot and um, allow them to poach. And what that does, it not only cooks the meatballs, but it flavors the sauce. So the sauce, it's, it's not a bolognese. There's so deep you know...
1: Floating around, around the right.
2: Right, but it, gets the, it becomes a ragu that has the uh. essence of delicious ingredients that are in the meatball
1: right and how could it be bad and they go in naked which i can't wait to try because they're far more porous that way and so they're mm-hmm. going to absorb the flavor uh see there are secrets to learn everywhere um share there really are. there really are share with us um stacy taylor's story please from edinburgh so, scotland uh, right
2: i'm so happy that you did mention stacy um you know it she's such a wonderful warm woman And what I really loved about her story is that she was an adventurer from when she was a young girl. You know, she grew up in Scotland, very proud Scottish woman, a beautiful brogue when she speaks, um, very infectious laugh. But she just had that travel bug. And after she married, her husband was able to secure a position um, abroad. Hmm. So they and so she also got a, a position abroad, and they went to Australia, and they did the Australia thing, and they loved it. From Australia, they ended up in Malaysia. They really did a whole bunch of fun things.
1: Cool. When it was
2: time to start her family, she went back to Scotland. She said, you know, I want my kids to be near their grandparents, and I want them to grow up in, in Scotland. But what she realized after her children were born, and I love what she said in the book, her quote was, I wanted them to realize that the world didn't stop at the end of our street. Mm. So as much as she loved being back in Scotland and her children getting that experience, she realized that in order for her kids to become worldly and understanding of other cultures and of other people, she really needed to get them out into the world as well. So they started traveling again. And again, it was always motivated by you know her husband getting jobs, which she was able to do, But now that they've landed in the U.S., what I really love is every vacation they visit a new state Hmm. (laughs) because she feels the U.S. is like 50 countries, and she's right, and I never thought about that until she said it. But if you go to the South, they have a different way of speaking. They have a different accent, and they eat different food. Uh, It's true. And
1: and she's giving her children the travel bug, which I think makes you so not only... Uh, an an explorer, but it makes you so much more well-rounded and understanding and of the belief that the world is made up of lots of different places and different people. And it changes your uh, possible judgmental side, I think, as a child to an open-mindedness that cannot be beat. Right. And it's just seeing it and
2: and breathing it. Mm -hmm. She said, you know, especially when they spent time, you know, in Malaysia or other countries like that. And they saw poverty and illness and things that they hadn't experienced in scotland and she was able to just you know tie those you know tie those strings for her her children to see if not everyone has our life
1: anna we need to take a quick break when we come back more about the inspiring power of food right after this don't go away back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The author of Heirloom Kitchen, Anna Goss is here as we share the story of how truly immigrant food is the story of America. Anna, we left off talking about um, Stacy Taylor, right? And her yeah. Scottish roots. And I happen to know tablet as they call it. It is sort mm-hmm. of like, grainy fudge the goal is not to get this creamy smooth illustrious finish of candy but more the flavor is so delicious and i love that it has like a little bit of grit and it's very Uh uh easy to make but that's how stacy keeps her roots of scotland alive right we met
2: at a um at a brunch um, it was a women's brunch. Um, it was actually an international women's brunch where as long as you didn't come from this country, you could come to this party. <laughs> and she showed up with a tray of tablets, of which I did. had never heard of. Hmm. So she walks in, and all of the British yes. women in the room be-lined <laughs> tablet, and they were all so excited that the tablet was there because it was obviously all part of the U.K., even though it had Scottish roots. It is very, very much um, a confection that they love in Britain. So they were all just munching this tablet. And that's how we met, and that's why I invited her to be part of the cookbook. But um, the funny thing about tablet is it's incredibly sweet. Yes. So children, and I will warn you, if you give it to your children, they will be bouncing off the walls after you serve it to them because there is, you know, four tablespoons of butter, But then two pounds of confectioner's sugar. Perfect. In this recipe. Right.
1: And then then there are two forms of dairy, whole milk and sweetened condensed milk. And that's it. I mean, what could be bad (laughs) about it, right? And there is something truly delicious about it. And I think it's in uh, the technique and the method of it, which I've not made it before and I can't wait, but you essentially begin to brown the butter, before mm-hmm. you add the other ingredients. So now you've got brown butter and copious amounts of sugar. I mean, really, it's now becoming hard to resist. And then you, after cooking, it, it's the consistency of pudding. You pour it into a pan and it sets. It's a no-bake, uh, b- right. super it's simple testament. The only testament. thing
2: that Stacey will tell you is you, ha- you can't walk away from the tablet. She told me this, like, the entire time. Anna, no matter what you think, you cannot walk away from the tablet. While Apparently, it's while it's cooking? It, you mean? While it's cooking. Okay. Yes. She said that her children were about to miss the bus. <laughs> she was making tablet in the morning. She left the tablet, uh, she uh, went uh. away, came back. It was a disaster. Yes. So that is her one sage piece of advice and I said, Well, how do you know when it's done? She goes, Oh, it's done I said, what do you mean how do you know it's done? <laughs> oh, you'll know, it's just you know it's done. So I said, No, Stacy so we actually got a candy thermometer, and we made sure to get it perfect. Um, but it does require a lot of mint whisking. You are going to get a workout that day. But if you have a sweet tooth and you mm. like something very sweet with your coffee,
1: it'll be worth it. Oh, definitely so. Um, there are so many lovely tributes. There is a remarkable story about um, a Korean uh, uh, heritage I should say and that is um, your friend Soon and I loved the recipe for her Kalbi um, I can't wait to mm-hmm. make it um, but there's it's really uh, some fascinating roots in that she came to America with a handwritten recipe book to keep yeah. the stories alive right? Yes
2: so the, the other great thing about the book is that when it came time to photograph each of the women as you noticed um, every woman's picture is in the book, I think, except for more camera shy. Mm-hmm. We applied, but everyone else's picture is in the book, uh, professionally photographed by Andrew Scrivani, who did the photography for the book. Um it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. New York gorgeous. Times photographer. Yes. Um, I had all the women. I asked them ahead of time, and I don't even remember when I had this idea, but every once in a while, I have a good idea. I said, could you please bring me something that means very much to you, that sig- signifies your travel to the U.S., and people brought all kinds of special things, but yes, soon brought a handwritten recipe book, because before she left Korea, she was so worried that she wasn't going to be able to make her recipes here in the U.S., she sat down with her mother and transcribed all of her mother's recipes into a book, and she still has it. I mean, the book now is probably about 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And there's a photograph of it in the book. Um, and as you go through the book, um, getting back to Stacy, she brought a St. Christopher's pendant because he is the patron saint of travel. I saw her that. her mother gave that to her
1: before she left. The book is called Heirloom Kitchen, a testament to female empowerment and strength and perseverance and diversity. And as the author, you just heard, Anna Goss said inclusivity it is a warm and inspiring reminder that the story of immigrant food at its core is the story of america once again this is a must-read cookbook available on amazon of course and find bookstores everywhere you can learn more about anna and her passion project on social at anna f goss it's g-a-s-s and at annasheirloomkitchen.com And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary entertainment. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I thank you for listening and I hope you'll tune in every weekend. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration. I saw these beautiful Mexican white shrimp at the fishmonger this past week and it made me think of this recipe and everything that makes shrimp delicious. Because if you've listened to this show for quite some time, and I hope you have, you know that I believe in mayonnaise for moisture and texture and flavor, especially as grilling season approaches. And this recipe is a testament to that. It's my three-ingredient killer grilled shrimp as I call them, they will make you jump for joy. And so if you're firing up the grill or you only have time to quickly saute, you can have a snack or a starter or even dinner on the table in minutes with this dish. You need a quarter cup of mayonnaise and a teaspoon or two of Korean chili paste, which is called gochujang, which I love. And then you need a couple dozen large, raw, peeled and deveined shrimp. Now, you could just easily combine the mayonnaise and the Korean chili paste and then marinate the shrimp, quickly saute, or you could skewer those marinated shrimp and throw them on the grill. Make sure that you brush sauce as you're cooking because that richness of the mayonnaise with the heat and the spice and the subtle sweetness of the gochujang brings out the fabulous flavor of the shrimp. And I will tell you, it is a three-ingredient wonder. My three-ingredient killer grilled shrimp recipe will be posted now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.